some days I think they're paying me to do this yeah. job. <laughs> I've had days like that where I think, really, don't tell them. Like, yeah. uh, the thing about Antarctica is, and probably what keeps me coming down here, is the pure wilderness. It's pure air. It's pure water. Pure sound. Every day is precious. Live your best life as much as you possibly can. Don't put things off. If you want to go and see Antarctica, save up. Do it. You know, do it now. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Beautiful people, I'm finally back from the Great White and I'm genuinely speechless, which doesn't happen very often. The yay of Antarctica was absolutely indescribable. Although, as per usual, when I say there are no words, I then follow with a million words, so you'll be getting bombarded with reflections and feelings in due course. I'm sitting down with Ange this week to unload with a little Yays of Our Lives reunion, which will be coming to you much more regularly, I promise, and that will be in your ears very very soon. Thank you so much for your patience, by the way, during the repeated breaks we've had this year to allow for travel and chaos and a general roller coaster now turned polar coaster of a year. To keep you going in the meantime, I was so lucky to interview many of the incredible crew and passengers on the Ocean Endeavour during our travels to Antarctica, and I will compile it all eventually. There's so much audio and footage to go through. There were just so many fascinating pathways that expanded my mind in all directions over and over. I literally am not going to stop talking about this trip for years, but I recorded one very special full episode with someone whose story made me tear up many times and whose passion project I'm desperate to share as far and wide as possible, and I hope you guys will be too. I gravitated towards Martin Cohen immediately because if anyone on board qualified as the team penguinologist, it's him, although his expertise is much broader as an overall wildlife biologist. And yes, he has had drinks with one Sir David Attenborough in his time, but as time went on, on the ship, I also heard the most heartwarming and heart-wrenching story behind the scenes, and I hope you're as moved by Martin as I was. I won't give you any hints, as it's so much more beautiful told by Martin himself, but I will include links at the end so you can support the beautiful project he's embarked on that you'll hear all about. I'm sure many of you will be as passionate as I have become about helping him spread the word and hope the neighborhood can get behind him. Excuse the background noise, the ship was pretty loud. I think we've got rid of most of it, but there's a bit of buzz in the background, but it does give you an authentic taste of the adventure. Ladies and gentlemen, Martin Cohen. Martin, welcome to Seize the A. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to have you here. We have had the loveliest couple of days together. It's been a pleasure getting to know you, but now to be able to sit down and find out more about how you started is an absolute joy. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to tell my story. It's very nice and calm conditions as well. So, I have to go back a few years, Sarah. So I'm 61 now. So back, I was born in 1961 in Melbourne, in Ringwood in Melbourne, and, and my parents were 
battlers, I suppose, for want of a different word. Dad was a women's fashion shoe salesman. So he used to go all over the, the out in country Victoria selling the new samples for the new new season shoes. And, and mum was a part-time bookkeeper, and, you know, housekeeper really. So in suburban Melbourne. I think one of the things that fascinates me the most about doing this show is tracing back all the steps of like now the chapter of your life that I walk in now, it's this crazy adventure, but you definitely don't always start knowing that that's where you're going to be. And one of the things I got asked the most about before we left for Antarctica was, oh my God, you get to meet a penguinologist (laughs) and you are the one who falls in the definition of a penguinologist. So from those beginnings in Melbourne to penguinology to here, tell us the story. Well, as soon as I could remember I was fascinated by wildlife and I listened to and watched TV Vincent Cerventi and there was uh, Harry Butler and, and people like that and there was also an American program called Mutual Omaha's Wild Kingdom and they had uh, Marlon Perkins presented and they had Big Jim who used to go out and catch all the wildlife and I wanted to be Big Jim and I everything I wanted to do you know I used to go to fields out the back of Melbourne they're all residential developments now, Keysborough region, and, and used to go and look for frogs, bring back frogs and all sorts of things back home. And, hey, mum, look what I've got today. And mum would go, oh, yeah, great. And I brought back a snake one day. It was a copperhead snake. And I said, mum, and she says, is that poisonous, Martin? And I said, yeah. And she says, we might want to go and let that go, I think. And <laughs> I think I dropped it in the house or something like this. Anyway, so my parents were, were very good at, at putting up with my crazy desires. I didn't know what that meant. So I knew I wanted to work with wildlife. I was passionate about wildlife. Don't know where that came from, but it did. And so uh, finished school, went to university, did a biological science degree, then did honours in zoology, and that got me out in the field actually catching wildlife, and I thought, oh, I really like this. And then I got offered a scholarship to go to Townsville. So a little Melbourne boy going up to the <laughs> dim, dark North Queensland, up to Townsville, to James Cook University. And, and you know, it was there that really my eyes were open to what I could be in this field. And then begrudgingly finished a PhD and did all sorts of other things. You know, I'd worked in tourism, worked as a consultant, launched programs like Land for Wildlife. And then I fell into the BBC Natural History Unit for four years. So working on a six-part series uh, called Wild Australasia as a senior researcher and working in a, with Dione Gilmore in, in the ABC in Melbourne. And uh, it was fantastic in the BBC, best cameramen, best producers in the world and got to travel around the country filming wildlife. Gosh, it's so cool. I think one of the things that we get drummed into us maybe a little bit too hard when we're younger is that you are supposed to know what you want to do and then you're supposed to get there in this really linear fashion and that you're meant to have it all sorted out. But I feel like no one's career starts or ends that way. Very few people sort of land where they thought they would and that there are so many different steps along the way. Like who could have known that you would end up with the BBC, (laughs) which is like the dream that you didn't even know you had. It it was. I I knew when I was doing that two-year contract, I said, he's never going to get better than this. I mean, this mob are paying me to travel around Australia with the world's best cameraman, filming wildlife and relying on my expertise to help them do that. And I thought that's never going to get any better. And in some ways, it, it hasn't, it hasn't. I mean, that was a dream job and I loved it. And then I met this lovely English girl and uh, who working, helping me work on the series. And after that contract, we went to the UK and sort of did contracts for the BBC. And, and that's my, where my famous story of it, I did get drunk with David Attenborough at a, at a wild screen conference once. So, uh, and uh, I was living the dream. But her name was Julia. Julia and I decided that 
if our careers took off here in the UK, we were never going to see each other. And, and we were soulmates, you know, absolute soulmates. So we, we decided to come back to Australia and, and start in far north Queensland, in Cairns, and start our own business. And so that was the next phase, start from scratch, literally start from scratch. And, and that was great. And we started a publishing company and we did you know, a whole range of different jobs and Julia's career was taking off and I was sitting back thinking, yeah, well, I might just sit back and be a, <laughs> stay home and, you know, write a few books and, you know, uh, uh, articles and things like that. But the world turned a bit upside down when she contracted a rare autoimmune disease and, and passed away in 2011. So then I had to change track again and, you know, what do I do now and where do I go? And, and that was pretty tough. Oh, man, I can't even imagine. I think one of the things that any theory of joy and fulfillment and happiness in life also has to consider the challenges to that joy that happen along the way and that there are times where you don't feel any joy for big, long, protracted periods of time and don't think necessarily that you'll have another chapter or that you could rebuild yourself. But yet now I feel like you're one of the most positive <laughs> humanity-embracing people that I've ever met. So how did you find your way out of that? It's funny because Julia, when I met Julia in uh, 2002, it pretty well re-sparked my childhood passion for wildlife because she had it and reflected back to me and then, and I'm still going. She lit the fire and although she's not here anymore, that fire still goes because of it. And it's sort of, this is what I love and this is what I want to do. I love telling people how wonderful nature is. And I have this, hopefully, a good belief that if people get to know how wonderful nature is and they're confronted with opportunities to either save it or not, they'll choose to save it. I'm going to believe that to the day I die. So my passion, if that inspires you to want to protect it or appreciate it more, then you know, that's my job. And that's why I'm here, I'm sure. We, you absolutely sparked that for everyone on this boat from the first talk to the last. I feel <laughs> like we've had so many opportunities to share in your passion for what started as thinking you were the ornithologist and then thinking with a penguinologist and then realizing <laughs> you were just the everything <laughs> biologist. <laughs> How did you make your way then to this incredibly remote and pristine part of the world? Yeah, that's that's a really good question, Sarah, because I'm not quite sure how either. <laughs> I mean, technically, I'm a tropical wildlife biologist, and, and I introduced myself as that, and then people were thinking, but we're going to Antarctica. So I started getting into the expedition company a few years after Julia passed away and, and doing more and more, and I, I worked with a company called Limblade Expeditions, and, and I, I really liked them, and they liked me, and they kept giving me more work, mainly in tropical regions, and that's fun. And I had a guy a lovely guy named Sean Powell who believed in me and he said, Martin, I want you to learn our Antarctica. I want you to be part of our uh, Antarctic expedition team. So, and you'll probably appreciate this, you transition from wildlife biologist to storyteller and you find things that interest you, mostly wildlife, and you think, well, I can write a story from that and to engage people. And so, you know, in a lot of ways, I call myself a storyteller or a performer now. You know, I, I do the research <laughs> and, I, and I, I prepare talks. I try and make them entertaining and, and have this little bit of a performance. I've come off stage, you know, big stage for talking to a lot of people and I've gone back to my cabin sometimes. I go, who the hell was that? It's like, who was that person out there? And it's like, 
what happened to that scientist? And and so it has been a bit of a, an epiphany for me that I'm a bit of a performer more, you know, and telling stories and, and trying to engage people. And I thought back, my mother and father, and I've never thought about this much, met at amateur theatre. So, and I had a very famous and successful brother uh, who was a three-times ARIA award-winning producer and engineer. So he went down the, that industry. He's no longer with us, sadly. He, you know, it, uh, took a toll, I think, all the, the drugs and the alcohol and the smoking. And he didn't live past 60, but he was hugely successful. And I suppose I was a scientist and I thought, well, now I'm, that's where I've got my sort of artistic side. And, and I love it. And, and saying that the compliment you paid me about what, what I've presented here is really important because I work hard to make them accessible to people from all works of life. I don't want to be a, a lecture. I hate the word lecture. They all call them lectures here. I like presentation. I'd much rather presentation. I also think what's really interesting is how much we silo ourselves in thinking, oh, I'm not good at public speaking, therefore I won't do the presentations, I'll leave it up to someone else, or I'm a scientist, so I fit in You know, the stereotype of I'll sit in my room and just do the <laughs> science. But once you decide you're a storyteller, then you just can be that. Yeah. And, and I also think the coolest thing is looking back, like you said, with your parents and seeing how all the dots connect. Yeah. Eventually, you'll you'll work it out. You don't necessarily know in the forwards motion, no. but looking back. No, definitely. I had no idea. As I said, you know, I thought, oh, my, maybe my photography is my artistic side. But in the last few years, I realized that, you know, I'm actually entertaining people with positive information about nature. And that's where I classify myself now is that I want to pass on my passion about nature and people really dig it which is great, and I seem to be good at it. So I'm in a very comfortable part of my professional life, especially. I'm, I'm very comfortable with who I am and what I do, and I, I, I just want to get better. I you know, meet people like yourself and, and others, and I hear how they do storytelling, and I think, oh, how can I improve? I work with these amazingly talented expedition staff, you know, and, and watch them, and I think, oh, wow, you know, they, they take little bits of, of what they do. So, yeah, I'm enjoying life a lot at the moment. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love it that you're truly seizing your yay right now. <laughs> so from Lindblad to here, I mean, yeah. it's a very different kind of expedition, but obviously once you got a taste for Antarctica, you've kept coming back. So, you know, coming from a tropical background, what yeah. then drew you to stay here and, and be on this intrepid boat with the, I mean, the team is extraordinary. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, once Antarctica gets in your skin, I mean, you want to go back every year. So it's only a small proportion of the year that I come down and do, you know, one or two contracts. The way I got to Intrepid is interesting because I, I knew about Intrepid, um, you know, I, and I sort of had this idea that it was a good Australian company and it's got, you know, really good environmental values. And there's a Facebook group called Expedition Boat People and... <laughs> Uh, Sam, who was uh, with Intrepid and put a, an ad up there looking for Antarctic guides for their inaugural Antarctic trips. So I sent Sam an email and said, hi, Sam, you know, and gave him a list of what I've been doing. I already had, at the time, three seasons in Antarctica and, you know, a, a fair wealth of experience. And he jumped and said, yeah, great, you know, and we had Zoom calls and said, look, I've got to get you on board. And, you know, he offered me the starter and this first section. And it was exciting to start you know, a new area with a new company and, and that's why I'm here. And yeah, so I've probably bitten off a bit more than I can chew this year, but because I'm crossing over to Limblad for Christmas New Year. So I'm away for 11 weeks. So I've never been away for 11 weeks before. It's usually, you know, four or five. So 
But I get six trips to Antarctica and that's 12 Drake crossings too. <laughs> we have just come off the back of a particularly rough one. So I think you're heading back into a second rough return, aren't you? Yeah, apparently. So they, I don't enjoy those so much. I love the quieter ones where I can be out looking at seabirds. But um, So, yeah, I, it gets under your skin. I, there'll be a few more seasons, I'm sure. It's a bit of a young man's game in, in some way or young person. So you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere. So, yeah, it's a hard physically and mentally. And, you know, I go back pretty exhausted and people say, how was your holiday? And I think, ah, oh, yeah, right. I wish it was a holiday. <laughs> and, of course, one of the things that, you know, I don't think I appreciated until I came is that you guys are on all the time. You're living with your customers <laughs> and then, you know, presenting and dealing with trying to even stand up straight all the time. Like it's, and you don't get a day in between expeditions. So we will dock and they'll clean the ship and then these guys get back on pretty much and go straight back out. Yeah, I might get a few hours in each way and we all go to the internet cafes and <laughs> get back onto the real world for a few hours. But but no, it's there's roles. And, and you, you know, the moment you walk out of your cabin in the morning, it doesn't matter how you feel, if you feel sad or you feel happy or, you know, you're, you're struggling or, or mentally tired, physically tired, they're not paying to come to listen to me complain. <laughs> <laughs> they're paid to come to listen to me give my pearls of wisdom and you've got to be honest. And a good thing is that I really like the clientele. I love the guests. I mean, the majority of them, you know, 99% of guests that come on these expeditions, fantastic people, really passionate, you know, and, and, and I feed off that. The problem in this industry, and you probably understand and recognise this, is that you remember the 1%. Yeah. <laughs> and you think they always stand out. But, yeah, the, the people are lovely. And I, I love talking to people from all walks of life. Well, one of the really, really cool things that has come out of our chats over the past couple of days is that you have obviously been through, and we call this NATA, like the barriers to your joy along the way, and have obviously had like a, an incredible traumatic experience in your journey, but have managed to turn it into something that is the most beautiful legacy that you could possibly give Julia. So tell us about that. Yeah, this is probably one of the proudest things that I've ever done from a personal point of view. And my late partner, Julia, was incredibly talented great communicator, didn't want children, but she was magnificent with children as well. We used to go everywhere together, so especially in the tropical rainforest. And we have a little creature up in the tropical rainforest called a paddy melon. And I used to make the joke, oh, Julia, look, there's Paddy O'Mellon, the Irish kangaroo. And, and she, she laughed. She thought I was funny. I mean, you know, no wonder I was so in love <laughs> with a girl. One of the few people who's probably ever thought I was really funny. And anyway, one day she came to me. I think it was about 2009, she came to me and she showed me a draft of a kid's book and I read it and it's like, Julia, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. And a business partner, Tim, who's uh, the partner in the publishing company and a dear friend, uh, he did some sketches and everything. And, and of course, it didn't, 2011 was when she got sick and, and you know, so age 33, she passed away Christmas 2011. So you're right, you know, I was shattered and broken and the grief is horrendous and anyone listening to this that's had a tragedy in their life will get it and, you know, everyone recovers or deals with it differently. Grief never goes away. You know, people say it's going to get better. It doesn't. It just gets easier to manage, that's all. Anyway, so I wanted to do this straight after she died but I didn't have the strength. But a few years later, I think 2017, I thought I'm going to get this done. So I sent it to friends, got people to edit it, Went to my our dear friend, Daryl Dixon, and she lives down in Cardwell, a couple of hours away, loves wildlife, 
beautiful wildlife artist. She did the illustrations. I got some people to edit it, and I printed 200 copies of this children's book called Paddy O'Mellon, The Irish Kangaroo. Anyway, so that cost me a lot of money, by the way. <laughs> I sent it to all the family and friends and thinking, well, at least I can have Julia's legacy. And I sent it to a few publishing companies. I sent it to one called EK Books in just out of Sydney. And they came back and said, we love it. We want to buy it. Well, we want it. So they did, and they reformatted it a tiny bit, but they actually improved it, and now they own it. And so Daryl and I both buy wholesale from them, and sort of basically I just most of the time I just give them away, I think, so I don't think I make any money on it. But it's three editions now, so and it's everyone loves it. It got great reviews. I'm, a, I'm friends with Steve Backshall. Um, you know, Steve's Deadly 60, and he wrote a nice review about it and a few other, you know, um, people, um, yeah, that, that, which has been great. It's just uh, probably, the, as I said, the best thing I've ever done. But the sad part about it is I wish Julia, she would have been so chuffed. She would have been so pleased with herself to see it. But anyway, it's out there. And I've given you a copy now, Sarah, to, to tell the world how wonderful it is. Oh, I feel so incredibly lucky. Uh, we're just flicking through the first time I've seen it in the flesh and it is absolutely glorious. I like, I'm tearing up just reading it. It's so, so beautiful, Martin. And I feel like it's something that the neighborhood needs to know about. Like everyone is looking for, like especially my generation at the moment, we're all having kids. We're all in the first and second baby phases and, you know, beautiful wildlife books is the perfect yeah. thing to buy for people. So, guys, I will be including the link absolutely and there's a beautiful, beautiful dedication and photo of Julia in the back written by Martin. How, how was it to write that? Pretty easy, really, in between the tears. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it comes from my heart and it, it's, you know, it wasn't that difficult. And she was, uh, she was an exceptional, ex exceptional at everything. I mean, and I, I make a comment in the dedication that she had a beautiful smile and she was never happier than when she was talking about you know, wildlife or photographing wildlife or just being immersed. You just had this passion for wildlife that, as I said, you know, it reignited my passion for wildlife, which, you know, will never die now. So, you know, 10 years we had together and, and uh, you know, the 10 best years of my life. But, you know, and people say, that's wonderful that you found your soulmate. But I just followed it with the 10 worst years of my life. So, <laughs> um, but, and people that get grief will know it. Especially with Julia, I liken it to, you know, someone gives you the, the best drug in the world and, and gives you that for 10 years and then all of a sudden someone stops and says you can't have any more. So, mm. But I'm happy with career and, you know, that I'm not afraid to love again. I'm sure it'll happen again one day. Oh, Martin, you're making me cry. <laughs> well, I, I really hope that everyone in the neighbourhood gets around this beautiful book because it is just so, so gorgeous and I'll make sure to get all the links so that we can buy copies. And I, I think I'll actually buy a, a whole heap of copies just for the neighbourhood, maybe as a giveaway or something because I want to spread the joy of this so much. And, but I think you're right. It's really interesting that there are experiences in your life that do give you the ultimate, ultimate joy and then – maybe take them away and there has to be a way for you to find the small joys mm. back in between all those moments. So now how do you find little moments of, of that make you yay in the stomach, you know, that little adrenaline kind of like <laughs> excitement? Well, there's two main things that come to mind and the first one is my dog. Uh, <laughs> oh, how did we not talk about this earlier? Every presentation finishes with a picture of Malaika. So uh, after Julia passed away in 2011, I was fortunate enough to get a, a superannuation payout 
and I was able to buy a small house in Cairns. And so I got a house in 2012 and I got an 11-week-old Labrador puppy. And she's she's called Malaika, which is Swahili for angel. And Julia spent a lot of time with her parents in Kenya and knew a bit of Swahili. So it's a little – and that Paddy Mellon in the back of the book, of the children's book, is also the original Malaika. So I like the name. Oh. So there's a few connections there. So – when I am sitting at home on my couch watching TV or something and, and Malika's in her bed next to me and she's got completely upside down and all these very strange poses, there's joy, just pure joy. The fact that she just, you know, you know what dogs are like. It's, it's unconditional love and I love that. The second part is things, I can go back to an example from a couple of days ago. When I'm out doing this job and something incredible happens, we had a minky whale now, I've only seen minkies in Antarctica a few times and usually just a, a fin and a bit of a blow and there's a scout around the ice shelf and you don't see a lot of them. This time, this one came up and basically he came up against the little iceberg and had a good look at it. So he, he looked at us and then thought, oh, that's unusual. I've not seen that before. Wow, that's incredible. And then he started swimming under the – there's four zodiacs all sort of just together and we were watching and this – this minky just started swimming under our zodiacs. And you could see it because the water's so clear. And then came right up next to us and did this for about half an hour. And I'm thinking, some days I think, they're paying me to do this yeah. job. <laughs> I've had days like that where I think, really, don't tell them. Like, yeah. uh, and uh, that was one of those days. And I'm so glad because, you know, we, we had a bit of a rough trip with weather on this, but people got one of the best Antarctic experiences I've ever had. So it's those moments that keep driving me, saying, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go back to Antarctica, Drake Passage and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think, yeah, but I might get another one of those days. Yeah. There's like a bit of a drag, I suppose, yeah. I will absolutely admit that there was a moment, and we didn't even have a rough crossing on the way over. There was still a moment where I was like, oh, my God, this, like the time it takes you to get there and looking at all these leaders who have done 48 crossings and thinking, how? And then you get there and you're like, this is why it is so indescribable. And if you and I thought it'd be hard to find wildlife. Like I thought you'd be kind of we've done safari and you really like it's a struggle to see certain animals anyway. And out here, it's like in day one, I'd seen everything. Yeah, definitely. It's it's you know, the penguins, of course. Are obviously, funny that you call me a penguinologist. But anyway, <laughs> um, the penguins are really we know where the colonies are and we know what they'll do and. I mean, I can just pretty well put, you know, 200 guests in front of penguins and just leave them there for an hour. And I, I don't think anyone would be disappointed because they just <laughs> – And then, you know, we have had some good seal sightings. You never know what you're going to get. It, you know, it's like the life is like a box of chocolates, I suppose. You <laughs> never know what wildlife's going to come out of there. So look, I've had uh, – Killer whales, we've watched them at a distance with a kill, probably a poor minky whale, and then they've come back to the ship and they've sort of started performing in front of us, vocalising just to come back and say, hey, we've had a good feed, we want to say hello and then go again. And these things are just mind-blowing and it's what makes Antarctica truly wonderful. But the thing about Antarctica is the thing I like the most and probably what keeps me coming down here is the pure wilderness. It's pure air. It's pure water, pure sound. It's pure wilderness. There's nowhere else you can go, I don't think, in this planet where you are so far away from civilization. I mean, humans are 
constantly trying to completely stuff up this planet. And you go to a place where you don't see humans. You're just immersed in wildlife and, and wilderness. And that's what I love a lot. I think that is what makes it impossible to come here and not have some major revelation about human impact and the way that we – it's very easy to dissociate from that, I think, in your day-to-day life because you're separated from it. But here, seeing how pristine it is and knowing like we've done a lot of – that's why I love the presentations on this trip as well because there's so much education that happens at the same time as seeing this pristine environment. I was, you know, heard yesterday there are already microplastics in the water here and yet there is nothing. The quickest way to get here is still – a two to three day Drake passage on a boat. You can't fly here and yet still plastics have made their way into the waters. So it's a huge, there's a lot of brain activity going on right now for me. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, you can watch the wonderful documentaries that um, the BBC make and David Attenborough and, and you can to a certain extent relate to it. But when you're actually living it, like you've just done this last trip, I think it comes home. And some wonderful educators, um, you know, Susie gave a great talk about plastics and you know, talk about whales and, you know, all the things that people say, we don't want to lose this. And, and that's, that's really important. And most of the people coming down here are already on board. You know, we are in some ways preaching to the converted, mm-hmm. but it's the converted, the ambassadorship that they can go back and say, hey, Antarctica is fantastic, but, you know, we need to start doing some things. And anything you can do, you know, start you know, just locally. Anything you can do, please do it. I mean, you know, um, we tell people don't buy krill oil stuff, you know, because we know that that's directly affecting penguin and seal populations. So even at home, and I'm sure you talk about this a lot in, in, in your field, that these little changes can make big differences. And, and if we don't do it, who's going to do it? And I think those little changes, it's the same in any area. Any way that you want to change your life, it all happens in little changes, not necessarily the big drastic, (laughs) let's all, you know, I don't know, go and live off grid forever. You know, you can do smaller things along the way. Martin, this was absolutely wonderful. To finish off, this is something I ask everyone because I love quotes so much. Is there a quote that you have that's your favourite? That's a good question. (laughs) Look, I suppose since I, you know, the tragedy hit my life, and then, you know, I've, I've had to bounce back. And don't get me wrong, you know, that was a long, hard, difficult battle. I suppose it's now that what goes on in my head is that every day is precious. Live your best life as much as you possibly get. Don't put things off. If you want to go and see Antarctica, save up, do it, you know, do it now. If you want to go to the Amazon or you want to go to Africa or you want to go to Europe, whatever, just live your life. Don't ever put things off and say, I'm going to do it. So that's not quite a quote, but it's philosophy, I suppose. It's pretty much exactly the philosophy of this entire show. So that was the perfect way to end. Thank you so much for joining. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Can you see why I fell in love with this man? The way he talks about love and legacy and wildlife just blows me away. I'm sure many of you listening will have a child in your life who could be spoiled with the magic of Patio Melon, the Irish kangaroo, so please get behind him and grab a copy if you can. It is linked in the show notes for you directly. And Martin is just one of the many incredible expedition leaders whose brains I got to pick over our time on board, and I honestly wish we'd had longer just to sit and talk to them about 
what led them to their jobs in the most remote part of the world. You'll get a Reflections episode next up with Ange and eventually I will then piece together some more stories from the audio that we captured. I feel like this will probably be a polar podcast for a little while now, so buckle in. If you have any questions too, I've been answering in as much detail as I can on Instagram and there's a saved Antarctica highlight that has the answers. As usual, I have written quite a few essays on some of the topics to make sure you have as much detail as I can give you. So head over there for more information. And in the meantime, I hope you're all having a wonderful week slash month slash end of the year and are seizing your yay.